This is Age Well with Dr. Sophie Schotter. I'm your host, Fiona Mattesini, and this episode is all about our wider approach and mindset when it comes to aesthetics. And if you've been kind of sitting on the fence with regard to treatments and tweakments, I reckon this is the episode for you because it's a deep dive into finding the right doctor, but also taking ownership of your own attitude and mindset. Have a listen. That's not a good way to be approaching treatments. We also try to find a few answers to something we've both been thinking about. Similarly to you, I feel a little bit torn about it. As usual, Sophie gives us the inside scoop. Really common. And a really important perspective on something that's not often known or discussed. Yes, they're making them accessible, but they're not making it safe. Finally, can you guess what she's talking about here? Aesthetic treatments actually empower us to take that out of the equation. Thank you so much for listening. And on behalf of myself and Dr. Sophie, may we wish you a very happy new year. Sophie, this is such an important and often overlooked conversation. Shall we start in maybe an unexpected place, and that's film and television. Most of us will be familiar with the movie Makeover Scene, for example, how Sandy transforms in Greece, or I'm actually old enough to remember Plain Jane Superbrain from Neighbours. But these <laughs> types of scenes, I'm showing my age there, they do reinforce the idea that a woman's value escalates when she's more conventionally attractive through the so-called male gaze. So my first question, is it possible to be a feminist and, for example, have injectables like Botox or say that someone, quote, looks good for their age or looks younger than they are? So there's a few things in there. And while I think it's sad that, as you described, those transformation scenes and Sandy and her value increasing as she looks a more particular or attractive way. And I always say, so if we can judge society for the fact that our appearance has become as important as it has, but we certainly can't judge individuals for choosing to want to feel more attractive. As for it being through the male gaze, I think that's shifted over the last few decades. Most of my patients now, they're not coming in because they want to look better in their partner's eyes. They're not coming in because they want to attract a partner. They're coming in because they want to look better and more like themselves. And this is where, again, the language of looking good for your age or looking younger than you are, I hate that. Just say to someone, you look great. Yeah. It shouldn't be about age. But of course, again, age is something that within society, even though you may with your logical head say, aging is a really positive thing. And with it comes so much that's amazing, like wisdom. And we're often in a better position in our life. We know ourselves so much better and accept ourselves. With age have come judgments about your ability to do jobs, many different things. Again, going back to screen, so many actresses, historically, their careers ended when they got older. They didn't get roles anymore. Mm. And so for me, aesthetic treatments actually empower us to take that out of the equation. Yes. Not to say that you have to do them, but if you choose to embrace them, then you can just stay looking like yourself and portray the outward image of how you feel. Because if you're staying fit and healthy and active and looking after your health, 
you also want to look like that. Yeah. And I love that message of it being about taking control for ourselves of how we look as opposed to being told how we look by somebody else. Exactly. The self-esteem question, and I think it's about self-esteem as well, and that's quite a big one because there is a lot to be said on both sides. When do you think tweakments are good for self-esteem and when are they bad? I personally think for many of us, we have some sort of hand up about our appearance. There are very few people who can truly say there's nothing that they're not delighted with about their appearance. But the extent to which that bothers us varies from individual to individual. And at the mild end, when people have something that bothers them that they notice in the mirror, and a lot of my patients, it's not always about a particular line or a fold. It's about the fact they look in a mirror and think that they look tired or that they look sad or angry. And it's the message that they're portraying that's important to them. Then we can really boost self-esteem because if you wake up in the mirror in the morning and you go and walk into your bathroom and you see yourself in the mirror and you look fresh, energized and happy, then you go into your day feeling so much better about yourself. But of course, there is also an issue at the other end, whether it's body dysmorphic disorder, whether it's that for some people, it can almost lead to a bit of a snowball effect that they used to focus on one thing, but now that's been addressed, they find something else. And of Mm, course, that can then lead to a spiraling curve of ending up not looking like themselves anymore. But also financially can be quite a burden. So there's a real onus on us as aesthetic physicians to do a thorough consultation. I really try and understand what's going on with my patients emotionally. And for many of them, they do come around a stressful period in their life. Something's changed and they want to reclaim themselves. Mm. But if I have warning bells of deeper psychological issues, then having treatment isn't the right place to start. Mm. And I suppose as well, it's looking at the language around treatment as well, because for me personally, I don't want to look younger. I mean, obviously I do. Who wouldn't? I would love to be younger. But in the end, I just want to look less tired and a little bit fresher, but not younger. And I think there's an important differential with language. I completely agree. And again, if you look back, my grandmother, when I was a child, was old in her mid 50s. And we're not anymore. We're aging differently. I turned 40 this year. I loved turning 40. But I also remember that when my mum turned 40, she was far less happy about it than I have been. Mm. I do think her Mm. whole attitude to ageing and maybe also the fact that now with the way science and research and things are going, we have maybe more of a choice about how we age than previous generations. It's not the age number that's the issue. It's how we look and how we feel. Yes, yeah. Going back to what you were saying about self-esteem and obviously treatments can be great for self-esteem. On the flip side, they can uncover a deeper psychological issue. Have you ever turned someone away from having a treatment? And if so, obviously staying anonymized, can you tell us what happened? Yes, it's a frequent thing when I will say no to someone. It might be that I don't say no full stop, but I say no to what they've asked for. Or it might be that it's a blanket, I don't think having treatment's the right thing for you. And there certainly have been patients who, and actually one particular one I can remember where at the start of her treatments with me, and she'd had treatments previously, 
I didn't have warning bells about her psychological state. Yes, she had high standards, but she was a lovely patient to work with. But as time came mm-hmm. on, she became increasingly fixated on very small perceived imperfections. And after lots of conversations that I did recommend that I thought the best course of action for her might actually be to have a conversation with a clinical psychologist rather than with me. Mm. And the tricky thing, of course, is you can't force that on anybody. And I'm sure there's someone else who ended up treating her. Mm. But that was a particularly sad one and more at the extreme end of the spectrum. But more often, it's things like that people are expecting something from the treatment that it won't deliver or that they want to achieve a look that I don't feel comfortable with. My ethos has always been very much these treatments are designed to make us look like the best version of ourselves. I want my patients to be complimented on how great they look, not to be asked who's doing their aesthetic treatments. It shouldn't change people and so it shouldn't be an obvious thing. And if a patient comes in wanting that sort of look that's a little bit more done, then they're not the right patient for me. Mm. And the expectations, for example, you know, if people have very small lips genetically and they want a really quite full pout I'm not going to be able to achieve that or if they want results that are more aligned with a surgical facelift again I'm not going to be able to achieve that so there'll be a frank conversation and maybe a suggestion of a referral to a different practitioner if appropriate Mm. or a conversation about what we can achieve and whether there's any alignment there at all but yeah saying no for me is a common thing (laughs) And it's such a good sign. If you are questioned by somebody in clinic, somebody like you, that's a good sign that somebody's asking those questions and even saying, no, I would take that as a very good sign. So-called tweakment culture is established and a lot of treatments are more acceptable now as well as accessible financially. Do you think we're making it too easy to have work done? Yes, quite frankly. I think we have a real issue in the UK with a lack of regulation of the aesthetic sector. So Bearing in mind, this is a medical specialty and I can't even begin to quantify how much it has cost in investment over the years to be trained safely, to have premises that fulfil the requirements and needs that I think they should. It's not a cheap thing to do well and of course, reputable products are expensive, But where we have a lack of regulation in the UK with, I think, about 180 different filler products available on the market now and no real boundaries around who can perform these treatments, it means that people are able to access treatments often very cheaply without really understanding the risks of what they're doing and without really understanding what they're having injected. And with that come a lot of risks, both in terms of developing complications and or also in terms of developing results that aren't what they're comfortable with. And if we think that most people are embracing tweakments because they have an issue that they want to feel better about, if they suddenly then have a problem from it that causes mm. scarring or severe swelling or an infection, that's emotionally very difficult for them. And again, Mm. when you start to get towards the whole Kylie Jenner packages and things like this that really make treatments very cheap and look like you're just buying a bundle of products, like you could pick up off a supermarket shelf, essentially, there's a real issue with people starting to look distorted and having product just because they can afford to pay for it rather than because it's actually what they need. 
180 different types of filler products. That's astonishing. In the States, it's under 20. So we have a real issue over here with the regulatory processes. And there's a lot being done at the moment with petitioning and trying to work towards better legislation and regulation, both of products and of people and of premises. So we hope that there might be improvements in the not too distant future. But it's that whole thing. If something seems too good to be true from a cost perspective, it usually is. It's pretty shocking when you find out some of what's going on with black market products and people being injected in hair salons or in their own kitchens. Mm. Those sorts of things, you know, yes, they're making them accessible, but they're not making it safe. Yeah. Crikey, it's such an important conversation. I had no idea about any of this. And picking up on something else that we just talked about with these packages and social media influences, one of the things that my husband once pointed out, and I thought, oh, he's right, is that when it comes to social media, a lot of people of all genders are starting to look the same. Do you also think we're in danger of having a slightly homogenized look? And, and is there a sea change against quote unquote natural aging or what we perceive to be normal? So for me, every face has beauty in it. And my job is to help bring that out, not to make people look like carbon copies of one another. But I do agree with mm. your husband that we see a lot of this on social media. Now, how much of that is treatments and how much of that is filters? I'm still not entirely clear because filters certainly make us all look like carbon copies of each other. But there really is that look that has become, we see it everywhere, the very sharply chiseled jawline, the slightly overfull lips, defined cheekbones, big cheek contours, and not a groove in sight under their eyes. And a red flag for me with patients sometimes can be if people come in with a photo of a celebrity or someone on social media and saying, you know, I want to look like that. That's not a good way to be approaching treatments. If you come in with photos of yourself 10 years ago and you point out what you've noticed changing, that can be helpful. But when you bring in a photo of someone else with a different face and a different bone structure and different issues, then if you try and chase that, we can certainly end up with that risk of, as you say, looking homogenized. Mm-hmm. And also, side note, no one's smiling in social media anymore. Is that a thing? Yeah. It's like everyone's pouting. Oh, I know. <laughs> it's weird, isn't it? It was In the 80s and the 90s, it was the big smiles, and now it's the big pouts. I have a few friends who work in the entertainment industry, and they pretty much all say the same thing, which is you'd be surprised, Fee, at who has treatments and claims to be aging naturally. I'm very conflicted about this because although I I do respect everyone's right to privacy, it's still quite misleading when celebrities claim not to have work done, yet they look so young. Kind of tacking onto that, I was also really interested to see that Robbie Williams recently opened up about having body dysmorphia and he talked about plastic surgery very, very openly. And I'll quote him directly. He said, nobody sees the good plastic surgery as it's not recognized. Most people in my industry have just got really good plastic surgery. Just a great yeah. quote. What are your thoughts on all of this? Yeah, absolutely. And similarly to you, I feel a little bit torn about it because, of course, Everyone has a right to privacy. And one of the things I pride myself on is that good treatments should be undetectable. It should be that compliment of you're looking great. Have you had a holiday? Have you had a haircut? And not people saying, oh, who did your filler for you? (laughs) And celebrities, of course, have that same right. But what's difficult is when you have someone 
who is in the public eye, who looks phenomenal. And we have so many celebrities who are well into their 50s now and barely look different than they did 20 years ago. Now, if people Mm. think Mm. that can be achieved with olive oil or a particular face cream, (laughs) they're being deceived and it can be really harmful for their self-esteem because they go and think, well, Mm. if JLo can look like that and is using olive oil, why can't I? (laughs) And it really can harm other people's self-esteem. And I do completely agree with Robbie because even with my knowledge, I will be able to look at people and say, they're certainly having work done, but would I be able to unpick exactly what they've had and why? Probably not, because if it's done well, you shouldn't be able to spot it. You should just think how well they look. Mm. And of course, the other thing we have with celebrities is we know their ages. We know how old people are. So if you just saw that person walking down the street, you'd think they look great. But because we know that, for example, Brad Pitt is 60 or 59, Mm. we look at him and we think he looks amazing, but what is he doing? It gives them an extra dimension where there's this pressure on them to own up about it. But yeah, when you see someone in the public eye who you just think looks great, they are 100% having treatments of some description, whether that's surgical or non-surgical, they're embracing it. But Mm. of course, the ones that everyone just spots are the ones where it's gone wrong. So good to have that conversation as well. And I think there'll always be arguments for and against having treatments. On the flip side of the naysayers, who of course are within their rights to their opinions, what about those who say, well, I want to have work done, but I just can't afford it? It is really difficult because of course, these sorts of treatments done well, they're not cheap and they come with a price tag. And again, this plays really into this lack of regulation that we see now. And I think there is also a certain, for some people, degree of seeing these treatments as a status symbol. And I do wonder whether that's why some people want more obvious work so that it's written on their faces that they can afford to do this, which I find a little sad, but I definitely think there are people out there for whom that's the case. And there's no easy way around this. This is never going to be something that's available on the NHS, just as most plastic surgical procedures are not available via the NHS unless they're reconstructive. It's a tough one because, of course, people will want to have it done. But you'd be surprised. I get many people with many different budgets in my clinic. I get people for whom money is no object. And I get other people for whom this is a priority. And they might spend less on their clothes, but they might invest Mm -hmm. a bit of money in their face. And what you can do is come in with a realistic budget for you in mind and with a responsible and ethical practitioner, have a conversation about where the best place to spend that is. And it might be that it's actually just on good skincare, or it might be that there's a couple of key treatments that we can do across a 12-month period that will deliver results. But don't be afraid of having those conversations because it's important that we work with all budgets. Yeah, I had a friend once who actually, she realised that she was drinking a bottle of wine with her husband a night. She stopped doing that, went teetotal. Not only did her skin improve anyway, but she saved a fortune and she did reinvest yep. that into having treatments done. So as you say, Amazing. spend less somewhere else. And mm, yeah, it's incredible what you can save if you do save elsewhere. Yeah. On the subject of guilt, moving into a couple of sort of emotional responses here, how often do you have people in clinic saying, look, I don't want to have, for example, injectables, that doesn't feel right for me, but face creams, they're just not cutting it anymore? Really common. I think there's been historically a lot of fear around injectables, and I think a lot of it started with Leslie Ash, beautiful girl next door type 
who had obviously a disastrous experience and there are many people who think that's what happens with injectables and so there's definitely a fear component and there's also several people who judge themselves for thinking that they're being vain as i said it's really about judge society for the fact that it's important to us how we appear how we look but it's not vanity it's about how it makes us feel but of course there aren't just injectables there are so many different treatment options available And again, an ethical practitioner won't just say, oh, that's fine, you don't want to do injectables, but let's do this and this device-based treatments and that's going to be perfect for you. But we also have to be honest, there are going to be some patients, and especially if we've got more significant volume loss or sagging, in whom we have to incorporate injectable options or have a conversation about surgical options. And you always will be presented with choice. You're never going to be forced to have a treatment view that consultation and the chat as an opportunity to find out in an expert opinion what's best for you it's then for you to go go away and think about whether or not this is the right path for you Mm, so you always feel in control exactly how many of your patients do you think or do you know don't tell their partners or their friends that they've had a treatment with you loads (laughs) especially back to the leslie ash thing actually a lot of patients I find their husbands or partners are really worried about them having treatments because of that it gets mentioned to me a lot that they're afraid that their partner's going to come back looking strange Mm. so a lot of my patients don't tell their partner until they've had treatment for the first time and then their partner might might say something like I had one patient tell me yesterday I think that her partner had just said to her oh your skin looks really fresh this morning and then when they've paid a compliment <laughs> like that you go well actually darling <laughs> yeah and so then interesting it's, then it's suddenly easier because they realize that their partner still looks like them and they just look a little bit fresher they don't look weird and with friends I think it's I'd say the majority of my patients fall into the camp of they don't openly broadcast it. But if someone said to them, you're looking amazing, what are you doing? Then they'll say, well, actually, I have Mm. had. So they don't then go and lie about it and say they've had nothing, but they don't go and openly broadcast it in the first place. Mm. And have you noticed a difference in how men feel about aesthetics as compared to women? Yeah, I think there's definitely an anxiety in men, particularly around injectables. And it comes from some of the females we see in the public eye looking a little strange. But also there's been several photos of men over the years where I think several male celebrities, Simon Cowell, Tom Cruise, have had a tough time being judged for potentially for treatments that they've had done. And of course, most of our male patients, they really don't want to look like they've had treatments But I find with talking about different types of treatments, going at it from a collagen stimulating perspective, combining with strategic injectables, and really we have a choice when we inject, we can masculinize or we can feminize. So I would say it's really important for males who are having treatment to be in the hands of of an injector who's very experienced in treating male faces. Yeah. Yeah, that trust thing again. Yeah. Finally, it might be worth us checking in on this because we have mentioned it. What are the signs of body dysmorphic disorder? Body dysmorphic disorder is potentially quite a severe psychological diagnosis. People might find that they are constantly checking themselves in the mirror. Some people might find they're avoiding mirrors. 
Others find that they're trying to camouflage or hide a particular body part. So, for example, I've seen this in people who wear scarves to hide the fact that they have a very weak chin and neckline. There's many people walking around where it doesn't bother them. People always comparing themselves to other people, wanting reassurance on on their appearance. And it's really associated with this intense focus, shame and anxiety about perceived body defects. And those defects either aren't there or are nowhere near as severe as the person perceives them to be. Mm-hmm. And the trap can be, if they're not there, you're not going to treat it. But if someone does have something going on and you think you can help it, often then having that aesthetic treatment can lead to the condition becoming worse rather than better. And it can be really traumatic for patients. So what we'll do is we'll put some links into the show notes in case anybody wants to get any kind of support on that as well. Yeah. Sophie, great to chat. So much food for thought. Huge thanks. I've really enjoyed this chat. Thank you again. So have I. Thank you. that ends our podcast if you want to explore more of what we talked about simply head to the show notes we've done all of the research and noting down of names ideas any studies we mentioned so you don't have to go digging to be ahead of the latest episode press follow on apple podcasts that's the little cross on the top right or simply hit follow on spotify or whichever podcast app you use also do follow sophie on instagram and tiktok there's loads of great content and little explainers on there. Search for Dr. Sophie Schotter. Finally, if you're close to London or Kent, you can book a consultation with Sophie and find out more about who she is and the range of treatments and services she offers via drsophieschotter.com. And by the way, there's some great blog content on the website too. My name's Fiona Mattesini. On behalf of myself and Sophie, please do take a moment to rate and review the show. It all helps. And of course, thanks for listening.